Hello, everyone. What's up? What's up? Welcome back to another episode of Space Talk. This is episode 66. I just recently changed the title to Light Pollution? No Problem. Well, sort of, but you can still stargaze. And the reason for that is because uh, all of my stargazing growing up was in a very light polluted city. Um, the city of New York, which I wrote down in the in the caption here, uh, but that is going to be updated. This caption by the time we publish this episode to my so to my friends listening in the future, uh, this is going to be for you. As far as uh, what I'm talking about with the caption, I'm going to be adding a bunch of links there for different types of resources and information where you can check in about light pollution in your area um, or how to avoid it and some other fun things. So let's see. Light pollution. For those who don't know what it is, uh, it is literally what it sounds like. It is pollution that is caused by light. So what it's doing is it is obstructing our view of the sky. Uh, We as humans have evolved to a point where once the light bulb uh, was widely spread and used, um, we started to illuminate our Earth, our planet, uh, artificially. So we would have now light at times when there normally wasn't light time, such as when the sun sets. And so with this came uh, lots of different things, some positives, some negatives. Uh, But today we're going to be focusing on one of the not so great things, which is how it affects uh, stargazing. And uh, one of my favorite things to usually uh, cover when it comes to different topics here on Space Talk is more so about just like wanting to get us to go outside and look up at that sky and um, to, to really, really simply just stargaze. Of course, we'll talk about more like detailed like areas of research and we'll bring people on to interview who are pursuing this. Uh, however, I again, my, my overall goal of when I created this podcast was to try to uh, either motivate or inspire anyone out there to actually go in your backyard and do some of the stargazing. And so I realized that since most of us don't live out in the middle of nowhere, uh, most of us probably have to navigate uh, light pollution. So uh, I put together 10 tips, uh, actually nine, but I'm going to try to come up with one as we go because I couldn't quite remember. I was jotting all of them down um, for what would help you uh, when it comes to stargazing, uh, specifically in a light polluted city. So what I'm curious about is for those who are listening live. Hello. Hi. Bye. What's up? Spacebook Messier and Joshua. I'm just curious where you guys are stargazing from and if it is a very light polluted region of the sky. The uh, reason I ask that is because uh, some of the bonus of having a live um, call like this is we can actually, maybe I can I can look up some stuff in your area and see where it might be best. Um, so let's start with uh, tip one. Um Oh yeah, Los Angeles, dirty skies. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely because you also have the sea mist there, and I remember that in the mornings when I lived out there, and it was very tricky to um, just have like a clear sky until about the afternoon when the sun came out. Uh, but still, there is a lot of uh, car pollution actually, and so it causes smog. And so with the smog, it tends to also obstruct any views of stargazing. And of course, then you also have the city. But a big positive of Los Angeles, unlike New York, is you can still be within the main city and get to a pretty high hill. I used to go to Runyon Canyon a lot. And um, 
also a Griffith Observatory, you know, specifically, but, but that whole hiking trail to get up to Griffith Observatory uh, is just wonderful because you want to be elevated. So that was actually tip number three, but we'll just start with that being tip number one. I always talk about being uh, at a higher altitude. Anytime we talk about stargazing events, uh, it is very important to try to be as, yeah, like high up as you can be either like if it's safe to go on a rooftop, a balcony, or you can go hiking somewhere and go on a mountaintop. This is very vital to, uh, well, maybe not vital, but if you want to catch a wide share of the sky and not have any obstructions like buildings and trees, then yes, it's definitely vital to try to get up on a hill somewhere. So the higher altitude, the better, better views. Uh, so that's, that's definitely something to keep in mind. Um, and let's see, we've got, okay. Bye, Tony. Um, Georgia, that's exciting. And we've got Oregon. All right. Dark skies, elevated spots and surrounded mountains. Yeah, right on. So you definitely could go to any type of, if you're going to be going hiking or mountaintop, this is why a lot of observatories based here on earth are on mountaintops, uh, because it, you know, is, is something that is uh, just more beneficial to seeing the sky. You can see from horizon to horizon, depending on how high up you are. And also it's easier to spot objects that tend to sit lower on the sky. So ones that aren't directly overhead, ones that maybe like a comet can be skimming the horizon. And this was when I was actually chasing, I was comet chasing, which was such a cool thing to say, except I never found the comet. It was Comet Neowise in 2020. And I, it was such a crazy adventure. I went all over New York trying to find it. I like waited for exactly the time that it would be visible. And I like just went to the west side uh, over by the water. So it was the Hudson River. And I just like stood up on like a platform. It wasn't like anything super high, but I was certain I was going to see this comet and that there was going to be a spectacular view. And everyone was asking me, oh, what are you looking at? I had my tripod and camera set up. And I was like, there's going to be a comet there. And I was like, but hopefully it rises above those buildings, which would probably be obstructing the view. And uh, I didn't get to see it. And then I got caught in a really crazy torrential downpour. And that, well, that, was, that, that ended up turning my night into uh, a very spontaneous adventure where I booked an Airbnb and I got an Uber to go all the way out to... I think I was in Long Island. I don't think I was north up upstate New York. I went to Long Island and I uh, was mapping out the best area to try to catch this comet. And once I got there, it was a great location, except that I couldn't get on any of obviously the rooftops of the houses because, it, you know, I, I didn't live there. And it was really hard to get up high enough. So I would have had to plan a hiking trip and then actually get up uh, yeah, on, on a hill somewhere. So tip number one, higher altitudes, better views. Tip number two, red light is your best friend. Red light. So um, this being said, this also ties in with tip number three, which is adjust your eyes. Give yourself time to adjust your eyes more than a few minutes. And before you do that, turn all your devices to the lowest light setting or night shift. So if you're going to be pulling your phone out or your laptop or your iPad, whatever, if you're going to be pulling any of that out when you're going stargazing, Turn all of them down to most minimum brightness. And uh, if you have the option to put on that night shift filter where it looks kind of orangey, I recommend you do that. Um, 
And again, adjusting your eyes, you'll want about 30 minutes to adjust your eyes. That is a very long time. <laughs> uh, I recommend that just because um, you can maybe do 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Okay. But 30 minutes is really when my eyes are able to see details in the sky. It's when I'm able to see details all around me as well. And so um, when you're looking up at the sky, and this was when I went to a dark sky observing place in Texas called Copper Breaks Park, a little bit further north Texas, closer to Oklahoma, I think, from what I remember, um, I couldn't see anything around I me. Mean, everything was just like pitch black. But as you know, the night went on about 30 minutes in, I was able to really start to see dim, dim stars in the sky. And um, when you're in a light polluted city, the more your eyes can adjust to that dark sky, the better. Because uh, that sky is not going to be per like pitch black. It's going to be a little bit lighter. And then this ties into if you're going to be using a flashlight, red light is your best friend. So you can still be in a city and like if you want to go to – if you're in New York and you're in Manhattan and you want to go to like Central Park, although I don't know if it's – they might close the parks <laughs> after sunset. Not sure. but um, Or it might be a little sketchy to go to a park in New York after sunset. But, you know, if, if you're going to do that um, – uh, or you find like a nearby local park or your backyard, whatever it is, but you still have some light pollution, use also a red light rather than a bright white flashlight. Um, might be kind of straightforward, but red lights are a lot dimmer and uh, white lights are just so bright and it's going to make your eyes reset and you'll have to adjust all over again. Um, I just remembered something else, so I'm writing it down right now for our tip 10 or tip nine, excuse me. Okay. Um, the next thing I was uh, going to mention was I'm kind of going out of order here, but as I was talking about kind of like seeing dimmer objects uh, as your eyes adjusted, my next tip, so tip four, is to look for brighter objects so in the sky. Uh, so you're most likely not going to be able to see like the dimmer kind of faraway galaxies unless you have like a really hardcore telescope. And even if you do, as I've done this before with my digital telescope, when you, once you process the image, you're going to see like disturbances from light pollution. You're going to see the effects of it. You're going to see kind of like these like kind of speckled outlines around the outside uh, edges of the image, kind of like reddish possibly, uh, depending on kind of the lights that are there. But this will definitely affect your, your imaging. So if you're going to be doing astrophotography, this brings us to tip five, which is use light pollution filters. I've found a YouTube video, which I'm going to share in the chat right now, um, of the top 10 recommended light pollution filters. So this will be for astrophotography. Uh, this is to use on your telescope or your DSLR camera. Uh, so if you're kind of into that stuff, light pollution filters will be your best friend. Uh, they, I haven't used one personally. I probably should. Um, I came across them a while back when I was at a B&H photo store, which is a pretty big store. And I think it's not just in New York. It's in other places too. I think there's one in LA. Um, but I stumbled on it when I was uh, strolling around. It was like, it's on like, I think 10th Avenue and 34th Street in New York. And um, I was looking at the telescopes and just got into the conversation with the person working there. And they told me all about light pollution filters that you could be, I could have been applying to my camera because I was complaining about light pollution at the time. So um, this is a really awesome uh, 
link that I just shared to the YouTube video and also astrobackyard.com is also a write-up of um, other types of resources, which I'm also going to share next. So it has a bunch of information kind of talking about how uh, light, um, light pollution filters work and which ones work best. And they like even show the images of the pictures that were taken and of which lenses were used. And of course, even links to go purchase these lenses. So overall, awesome, awesome source of information. This brought me to two different things. Um, so then the next tip is apps. So you're going to want to probably check out different apps. Um, I'm going to share the link to one that I just found. Um, I haven't used it, but it has uh, quite a lot of ratings. It's at about a four-star rating. Uh, it's called Clear Outside. And it's basically a calendar of tracking your light pollution in your area. And this is would be, you know, again, very helpful for knowing before you go to the right of the screen. It has other types of apps that it recommends, like Space Weather Live, Astro Weather, Good to Stargaze, um, to, and Good to and Good to Stargaze Forecast. So there's a bunch of links on this uh, link that I just sent. Now this is the Google Play Store. A lot of these are also available on iPhone, so I would just go ahead and just check which one it is which, and if it is available for you. The ones that I've mentioned several times that I find to be very helpful um, are Sky Guide and Sky Safari Plus. I've mentioned this so many times, but I'll mention it again. Sky Guide, I just sent that in the chat, and Sky Safari Plus. The reason I recommend these apps and why it's important to use apps when you're stargazing, especially in light pollution, is because this has happened to me before where I'm like looking in an area where I think the object would be or should be. Um, and maybe it's just like not visible, or maybe I'm looking slightly off or slightly to west when it says, you know, face northwest, you know, west northwest that I'm facing to west. Like that, this, this can happen. It's very easy, especially if you're just starting out with stargazing. And even if you've been stargazing for years and years and years, it just happens. It's, you know, sometimes we're just not fully oriented with every single degree in which we should be facing. So with that being said, it's really helpful to have these apps that are tracking your location if you're okay with it, and you can point the phone and it can find you and show you where exactly it would be located. And if you don't see it, most likely that is because the light pollution is outshining the brightness of that object, which means that object is too dim to see because of the light pollution, unless of course you get a telescope uh, or binoculars with the light pollution filters. Um, Speaking of, I just had that thought. I didn't look it up. I wonder if the light pollution filters could be used on binoculars. Light pollution filters for binoculars. I'm doing a real quick check online because I actually, I, I totally didn't even think about that before. Um, so nebula light pollution filters for binoculars will never be as effective as those under used at a telescope. Okay. So it looks like it does exist, which is pretty cool. Um, I guess the reason why it won't really work as well is just because sometimes you're holding the binoculars, unless you have a tripod, it can be a little bit shaky. Um, and so it might just, I don't know, be a little bit weird, but you definitely, okay. Yeah, you bet. You could definitely use filters on conventional lenses of conventional binoculars. Uh, it might be a little bit weird, I guess, kind of installing it, but it's possible. This is what I'm finding online, so it's really cool. Uh, check out that link, though. 
to the YouTube video and the link that I shared about the best light pollution filters and see if maybe they could fit a pair of binoculars if that's what you're looking for. Okay, so that was, I think, tip five. So tip five, apps. Tip six, light pollution maps. I had to say it like that because I like that it kind of rhymed. So light pollution maps. Let me go ahead and turn off my ad blocker real quick. Uh, pause on this site. Okay. So this is a light pollution map of the world. And this would be very helpful to check before you go out. Uh, it's not common that it will vary day to day depending on your location. Um, but it's still helpful to at least know, especially if you're getting technical with your photography and your camera and, and how you're observing with your telescope. Cause if you're able to like, you know, test out different, um, uh, different settings to try to adjust for the light pollution, which I do not have a background or expertise in. So it's a little bit tricky to sort of, uh, I, I won't be able to really describe if you can do that or not or how you can do it. Uh, but I imagine you probably could compensate through, adjusting some of the settings in a camera because DSLRs are just really intricate. So it's possible you might. And so if that's the case, uh, knowing kind of where and how powerful the light pollution is in different areas around the world, especially where you might be, uh, would just be beneficial to know, I would say, before going out. And if you check out that link I set, it's really crazy. Um, half of the United States is like, very, very bright right now. Um, and I'm guessing it's because sunset is, has already happened on the East Coast or is about to happen. And this is the Earth is now turning away from the sun. And so on the West Coast, it's not as brightly illuminated. And again, maybe because it's still the lights haven't been really turned on yet for nighttime. Um, so that might be it. So this might increase um, over the over the hour. Let's see if I can mess with this too. This is really cool. Um, if I can kind of adjust this, let's see. Oh, that's really cool. So there's a color colorblind setting, but no, not that. But the transparency slider. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm just on World Atlas, but then there's the these different settings on here. I, I actually don't know too much about it. I just found this link, but I thought it was really cool. So maybe check it out, spend a little bit of time on it. Um, I'm going to work with this as well and just sort of explore it. I haven't really used light pollution maps before to, because I just knew that you know, being in New York, I was like, there's no point in me checking how much light pollution. I know there's going to be a lot of light pollution, but for areas that maybe like can, I don't know, sort of be in between, uh, like different parts of maybe California or different parts of like, you know, Nebraska or Arizona might, might be helpful to check that out. So uh, the next thing is um, I already mentioned to look for brighter objects. Um, again, that will be helpful. So you're going to want to check out like, uh, let's see, I'm going to mention the next tip and then I'm going to explain tip seven. So tip eight is avoid the full moon unless you're doing moon gazing. So if you are in a light polluted city and you're going out at night to stargaze, um, check what the moon phase is first, because if it's a full moon, uh, that's going to cause even more light for your eyes and you're not going to be able to really see as many dim stars or any planets that might be dim during this time. And so uh, you'll want to wait until it's a new moon it's darker. It's, you know, not full. It's not reflecting all that sunlight. So it's dark. It's shadowy. 
And so you're able to see dimmer stars come to life, basically. Uh, and I've talked about it before also on here about uh, this is a really good time to look for the Milky Way overhead. So if you're looking for the Milky Way or if you're not, because you probably can't see it in the middle of a city, you can at least still see some other objects uh, that maybe you couldn't see when the full moon was there. So tying back to tip seven, where I said to look for brighter objects, what I'm talking about there is ignoring the moon for a second. You'll almost always, unless you have overcast or clouds, be able to see Venus and Jupiter if you're looking for it, if it's visible, you know, if it's visible during the time that you go out, it's not visible all the time, every hour of the day, uh, only certain times in the evenings, certain times in the mornings, it changes and it varies all throughout the year. So, um, I, but if you do happen to be out when one of those or both those planets are visible, you'll 1000% be able to see it. You'll know that it's it because it's not going to be twinkling. And this is because it's located a lot closer to us. There's less uh, disturbances of interstellar dust and gas in between us and it, like as opposed to stars. The next star is really, you know, far away compared to our planets. And so it's twinkling uh, for several reasons. The light is dipping in and out from things passing between us and it. Think of it like as if you're on um, like a very busy highway and you're trying to see like the sun that's behind all the cars um, or you're like the, the sunlight is flickering in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out. And because the cars are constantly passing in front. So it's like the sun is, is sort of twinkling. Um, so look for brighter objects. Look for uh, really prominent bright stars, uh, like really like red supergiant stars, blue supergiant stars. Um, very prominent constellations will help you also uh, understand your orientation in the sky. So looking for, um, yeah, like uh, if it's wintertime, Orion is really easy to spot and really helpful. If it's summertime, uh, Cygnus, the swan, also very helpful and easy to spot. It's typically in the, in the zenith, which is directly overhead. And how you can notice it is by the asterism found within the constellation. And an asterism is a pattern within a constellation. It's really funny. It's a pattern within a pattern. Uh, it's the Northern Cross. And so it looks like, you know, a, a cross. And that is inside of the um, Cygnus the Swan. And that's typically directly overhead in the, in the zenith for the Northern Hemisphere. So uh, that is something really helpful. Uh, yeah. And then uh, something else I didn't mention. I'm going to actually go ahead and write this in now for my tip 10 and type that out because we've got one more thing to mention two more things to mention okay so tip nine green laser pointer a green laser pointer is are, is one of the best tools you could grab when you're stargazing especially in light pollution because green laser pointers will literally shoot you could see it like a pointer all the way up to the sky whereas um if you have like a red laser pointer or a purple or ultraviolet laser pointer, uh, it's it's not going to be a direct line cutting through the clouds or cutting through the light pollution to then point directly to the object. It will just, you know, disperse <laughs> uh, as it's traveling and you won't really be able to see it. But the green laser pointer uh, is really, really awesome and helpful. It also looks super cool when you're out there with either a bunch of your friends or anyone that you're meeting at the astronomy club. 
and you pull out a green laser pointer, it's just like you're like extra, extra cool. And so, um, and it's also really educational. It's a great tool to use for either like learning with other people or educating them or being educated. Uh, all of it is just really, really helpful. And um, as long as you're careful with it, uh, can't shine it, you know, like anywhere below, I'd say the horizon, because you can end up coming across accidentally, like hitting, like, you know, hitting someone you don't want it to you know go into their eye or going through a window or a house all bad stuff so definitely point it at the sky um, and then tip 10 the very last tip i've got here that i just added right now that i just thought of um sky charts sky charts are super super helpful um you know, I mentioned earlier, if you're going to be using apps, uh, for sure, you know, like that's going to show you what the sky is. But before you go, plan a little bit. Um, go on skyandtelescope.org and generate a sky chart. Um, let's actually go to it right now. Let's open this up. I'm going to go ahead and share it in the chat. And here is that link. So you could go there and you can put in your location either by your zip code or if you're out of the United States, you can put in your longitude and latitude manually. And I've done this several times. Um, it's not that tricky. You go to this website called geodatos.net. Also, might be repetitive for some of you who might have heard me mention this like a billion times. I just love these these um, these uh, different websites. You can find your longitude and latitude by putting in your uh, city, and then you could put that into the uh, sky chart generator. And checking this out ahead of time would be super helpful um, because then you could see, okay, what's visible tonight? Uh, which direction do I need to face? There's even an option to put buildings and trees on the horizon so you could see, like, if you are lower on the horizon and you're not elevated what would probably be obstructed, what stars, what constellations. And there is a uh, green rectangle that can focus in on all of these different constellations. So you can, you know, sort of scroll all throughout the sky chart and see a zoomed in area of what, you know, zoomed in, you know, kind of, you'll check it out. You'll be able to see it. It's literally like uh, in the top left picture of the screen, you're able to see just like a close-up of what the stars are that are visible and other things. There are um, deep sky objects here, messier objects, uh, star clusters, and you can look at all of this ahead of time. And so uh, that's the way, this way you can then plan it. So that is about everything um, that I had planned for today as far as all of the tips go for light pollution. Uh, so I definitely recommend checking out each of these different sites. I will for sure add them in the caption after this episode goes live. Um, but I think that this would be yeah, really, really helpful for, for you all. If you guys end up going out at night, trying to look up at the night sky and wanting to go stargazing. Um, so I hope that you all get to check this out. Um, if you guys are looking at the Sky and Telescope interactive sky chart, just shoot me a message or send me a comment here if you have any questions about it. Um, there are several different components to it, uh, not just you know the objects that are like specifically visible, uh, but you also have the directions. And the directions can be a little bit tricky uh, when you're first going outside. So when I was in high school and I first generated a sky chart like this, it was in my astronomy class in um, – 
in junior year, we printed it out and then we went outside at night. We would choose like which constellations we want to look at. And then we'd, we would rotate the sky chart. It would be as a circle to have it face whichever direction we would be facing. So um, if you are facing east, you're going to want to have that sky chart where it says facing east closest to your body. And so this will, you know, or like imagine if it's like overhead, because this is the sky that's overhead, because it's what I used to do when I was in high school. I would put it overhead and I would check my compass or whatever device you might be using. Maybe you're using your phone to see what your direction is. If you know that you're facing east, rotate that sky chart so that facing east is on your head and facing right where your eyesight is, so where your face is facing. <laughs> hope that hope that kind of makes sense, but um, that would be uh, ideal. If, if that isn't too straightforward, I can always just make like a quick video on it, or I'm sure it's also online and you guys could see that. But looking at the sky chart, uh, you would probably be able to catch some of these uh, much larger objects, these larger stars that would be visible. And if you catch a constellation, but you only see some of the stars, this might be a good way to grab a pair of binoculars or a telescope and then see if you can see the dimmer stars of the constellation. And then be able to actually say like, oh, okay, like I was in a light polluted city, but I can still see some of these. So let's see, one more thing I'll mention about this is you can change the different times and you could, of course, also put show daylight or let go of daylight. Um, I would say always keep the show daylight on just in case you ever accidentally put in like the wrong hour uh, or the wrong time or whatever it is. Um, it might look like as if there's still, uh, yeah, and if you turn the show daylight off, you might not realize, oh, I might have accidentally put 3 p.m. And you didn't, you couldn't tell the difference because you didn't have the show daylight on. So um, I definitely recommend having that on. And then uh, lastly, you have the um, the celestial equator and the ecliptic. So the ecliptic is the path that the sun follows so from our perspective, so from what we would see on Earth. And this could be very helpful during a solar eclipse. Um, so this would be... Um, I would say like, yeah, probably pretty pretty helpful also to use on Sky Safari Plus or Sky Guide because you'd be able to then see where exactly it's going to be crossing. What I caught, um, it was the spring equinox when I was in uh, New York during that time. I It was very important to know where the ecliptic was because I wanted to catch when the uh, sun was going between certain buildings down one of the main avenues. And then it would line up perfectly with the tip of this uh, um, this triangle that's found in Rockefeller Center in New York, which is a massive sundial, by the way. So um, in case you, you haven't seen it, I recommend it. And um, then also we have the celestial equator. And this is our projection into space of the Earth's equator. So it's like an imaginary circle um, that is from the celestial poles. So that would be sort of like, yeah, what our equator of Earth would look like projected on the sky. Alrighty. And let's see. Um, we've got one question. Awesome. From um, Joshua. I have a long question. Is it possible to have a discussion on building a new observatory on a community college campus? 
that's a really good idea. Um, yeah, but maybe we can hop on uh, another episode in the future and chat about that. I think I, I've never thought about taking on like a project like that. Uh, building a new observatory on a community college campus. I think that's a really spectacular idea, though. Um, and I think I think you should try doing that as well. Um, I know that some of the observatories, at least out where I am, are – I don't know if they would need a new one or would have space for a new one. Maybe my, my OG school, so College of Staten Island. What's up, New York? Uh, <laughs> uh, their observatory is really great, too. Uh, so it's possible they might want, you know, need to build a new one. Not sure. Um, which was also really cool that it was like the one college I ended up going to and it, I see a giant spider on my wall. Okay. Sorry. I just, I'm going to go ahead and get that once I sign off of this episode. Um, uh, but Joshua, that was a really great question. We'll hop into that in a future discussion. Um, I'm going to go ahead and, and bring this, this friendly, not, not so friendly looking spider outside. Uh, hopefully I don't, I don't get bit. I don't think it's a black widow. So I think we're good. All right, everyone. I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day. I hope some of this information was helpful for you and I hope you get to get outside and look up at the night sky and be in wonderment as I always am whenever I look up at the stars. All right, everyone have a great week. And until next time, add Astra.